0: Well, it's great to have you here this morning. It looks like you all survived the floods well, uh, and that's a good thing. I'm glad you're here with us and not washed away. Uh, there was some pretty heavy rains, pretty heavy weather that uh, came about. Uh, there was a guy, there was a film that I loved uh, years ago called Chariots of Fire. I didn't look up what year it came out. In the minute I say that, there's fact-checking going on, right? Uh Chariots of Fire was about a story about a Scottish missionary to China. And before he went to China, to where he eventually met his demise, his death at the hands of the communist, uh, he was an Olympic runner, Eric Little. He was an Olympic runner who was uh, he was born of Scottish parents, he was born in uh, uh china he was uh uh, ran for uh, scotland or england and and he won a race that he wasn't expected to win the 400 meters he was a sprinter he was a hundred meter guy and he he was world class world renowned his sister was thinking what are you doing wasting your time here when you should be in china that's your true calling and he says yeah that is my true calling but god made me fast and i feel his pleasure when i run And so he was also this runner, this Olympic runner, and so he ran in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, and he wouldn't run his normal 100 meters, and you think, why didn't he run that? That was what he was good at, because the heat that he had to run before he ran the official race was on Sunday, and he wanted to make a point. And it was a point that was heard around the world. Uh, people paid attention to that. Here's this runner that was not running the race that he was so gifted and designed for. And he was running this other race, the 400 meters. In fact, in the movie, it has the American coach going up to the runner who was running the 400 along with Eric. And he goes, uh, don't worry about that, you know, that guy because he's a sprinter. His legs will give out before he finishes the race and you'll pass him. He'll start out faster, but you'll pass him. And then right after the coach leaves, this other runner, Jackson Schultz, American runner, comes and walks up to this runner and says, be be, watch out for Eric Little. And he goes, coach said he's not a problem. And his response was, Eric is running for something coach in a million years wouldn't understand. And then he walks up to Eric Little And he hands him a slip of paper. He was also a believer in Christ. And when Eric Little read the paper, it just simply said, the old book says, those who honor me, I will honor. And in the race, he just wads it up and he carries that paper with him in the race. I don't know if that's exactly how it went. But that that little statement, those who honor me, I will honor, it's powerful. And it raises the question in our minds, am I living that way? Is my life honoring to God is the question, right? Now, I know my salvation isn't dependent upon it, but when I'm, my sanctification, my growing in Christ, am I honoring him? You see, the natural tendency is not to honor him. In fact, in in Romans chapter 1 It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's our natural tendency, not to honor God. And so if we're going to honor God, we have to fight that natural tendency to honor other things. Many times it's ourselves. Other times it's people around us. And we put other things above and ahead of God. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is God first in my life? That's really the question. That's the question of the day that we have to answer, that you have to answer in your life. I can't answer it for you. Is God first? Is he Lord of my life is another way to put it. In other words, when God asks, do I always say yes? And I would beg to say that many of us tell God no at times. In fact, I've had people say that. I was in a Sunday school class one time and and we were going through and said, "Here's here's what we need to do in this particular area of our life. And this person said, I can't do that. Can't or won't was the question in my mind. I thought Philippians 4.13 says I can do some things, all things. All things, is that right? All things through Christ who strengthened me. So there is a reality when I come up and say I can't do it, but I can do it in his strength, Right? So I should never say the word, I can't, in regard to God. Never. Unless I follow it with the statement, except I can do it in his strength. Which means I go and do it. The other thing that I should never say, tell God is, I won't do it. In fact, I was reading a passage to this person. Uh, um, and I said, this is, a, uh, you know, and I read, the, I read the verse. And she goes, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Do we ha- I, I, I didn't say this because I didn't think fast enough on my feet, but I was thinking, you know, I didn't write this, right? <laughs> I don't get the option for the one who died for me to tell him no. I don't tell God no. I can't tell God no. He died. Jesus died in my place. He died for me. And my answer should be, Lord, I don't want to do this, but I'll do it. I'll do whatever you ask, whenever you want me to do it, however you want me to do it, because you died for me. No matter how much pain it causes me, I'll do it. You're asking I'm saying yes, every time, every time. That's him being Lord of my life. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, for those who honor me, I will honor. Am I doing that and am I going to do that or am I telling God no? Either by my direct statement or by my passive aggressive nature where I say yes with my lips, but my heart is far from God. Hmm, Kind of sounds biblical, right? Matt Chandler, in an article he wrote about uh, warning the church about discipleship, uh, are, are not because they, they typically aren't focused on discipleship, but rather entertainment. And we see that, we've heard that, we've talked about that in different places. He makes an interesting quote in this article. He says, You and I are so overstimulated, you and I are so overwhelmed with fast paced, energized entertainment. That we've developed a real idealized sense of life with a real low pain tolerance. Wow. Overstimulated, which means if I don't get the stimulation I desire, and, and and what you find with if you know when you especially when you look at people that have addictions, is is they start here, but then that's not enough, and so then they get a up it a little bit, and then that's not enough. And then you just keep upping it until finally uh, it controls everything about your life, or you die from it, right? We see that in addictions. And we realize that there are times in our lives where we're addicted to different things, and we're addicted to technology. And, and so the, the technology of yesteryear is not sufficient for today. I've been going through the process of taking some old family uh, 8 millimeter; you know, they're the reel-to-reel type looking stuff, and, and making copies of this and digitizing it. And, and the, when you look at the quality of the thing, you go, wow, we have, we have changed. What we tolerate and won't tolerate, we were fine with that then. But we're not fine with it now. It's got to be better and better and better. We want to buy, buy the latest thing. And so we'll buy the best iPhone or we'll be, buy the best uh, uh, Samsung or we'll buy the, the best uh, Apple Watch or, or equivalent. Or, or I mean, we, all this stuff. Because we got to have the newest and latest and greatest, and our vehicles have it, and we want that. And, and so we're spending more and more, and it's like we're overstimulated. But then when pain comes along in our lives, we, we have this, such this idealized sense of life, we think that doesn't fit. There can't be this idealized life and pain involved, and so it must be wrong. And so we punt, and we go do something else. And we give up what God has asked us to do. And it comes, brings us back to the question, those who honor me, I will honor. Am I doing that? Am I willing to do that no matter the cost? We have people, and in fact, a couple of our missionaries are, uh, that are uh, in India are fa- facing Persecution. They're facing things. Believers there. Pastors there are facing persecution. Christians there are facing persecution. And it's increasing. And and, uh, Hinduism is increasingly gaining the upper hand uh, in political office. And they've got to face that. Are they willing to honor God no matter what the cost, no matter what the pain? And I wonder, are we ready for that? Are we ready in our own lives to face that? Are we punting are we changing are we doing something different the quote that little red was actually from first samuel chapter 2 verse 29 uh, where god is talking to eli the high priest of the nation and he says why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that i commanded for my dwelling and honor here's that idea of honor and honor our sons above me or your sons above me and now his sons were doing some pretty they were behaving badly to be honest, and they were, they were taking sacrifices that people were bringing and they were eating them for themselves of ones that they weren't supposed to do that with and they were just despising God's sacrifices. And so that's where God said, those who honor me, I will honor. So it's that idea of the job of priest is to honor. Well, did you know that Peter in 1 Peter tells us that we're all priests? that we are believer priest in fact if you'll turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 1 Peter chapter 2 we see this idea of the priesthood of the believer and where that comes from it's something that during the protestant reformation we understand the gospel was fought for that there was this idea that salvation is in Christ alone that you put your faith in Jesus and salvation occurs but they also fought for the priest of the believer, and that was something that for years was kind of ignored. And even still today, we don't think of ourselves as priests, but you are. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ according to this passage that we're getting ready to read, you are priests. And not individually priest, we are priests of God. And so we begin here in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, is where we're starting. 1 Peter 2. And verse four, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So he's talking about believers in Christ. That you come to him. He's the living stone. Who's the living stone? Jesus is that living stone. In fact, we see in this passage that he, he talks about him being the precious cornerstone. And he's the capstone. And he's a stone that also causes men to stumble, verse 8. And so you look through the passage you realize he's talking about Jesus here. That you're coming to him. And that you don't just come once. This idea of coming repeatedly to the living stone. Because it's in the present tense, it's a present progressive, which means that it's something this ongoing action. So that we keep coming to him. And we keep coming to him in an undistracted way. And I want to I make that point real briefly. I think that we typically think we can multitask, right? How many of you think, or, or maybe you don't think, how many of you do multitask every single day? Probably every one of us, right? We're multitaskers. We got our phone out. Uh, we're, and on our phone, we're doing three or four things. We're looking up something. We're responding to two or three different texts. Uh, we're looking on our calendars. We're doing all this stuff. We're multitasking on one device. Now, some of you have this device, and then you also have uh, another device. You have your computer out, and you're doing other stuff on it. And some of you, while you're studying, are supposed to be studying, you got your TV on, you got your computer on, you got your, your book open, you have got your phone out, and you, all these things going on, right? I mean, that just happens. I mean, I know, I'm a student again, and so uh, I find myself trying to multitask. Here's what Stanford did a study on. They said researchers find that multitaskers perform poorly. <laughs> and we all raised our hand, didn't we? Uh, <laughs> It says, in many ways, multitasking impairs performance. So while mo- many people think that they're effective at juggling multiple tasks, they're actually pretty lousy at it. I mean, this is a Stanford study that I'm quoting here. It says, everything distracts them. Uh, multitaskers are suckers for distraction and for irrelevancy. Wow. How many times do I click on a button? Oh, this is, looks interesting. Click. You know, and, and then a, a news article comes up, and uh, you find yourself reading this article that you think, this is not going to change my life, this article, you know, but I'm reading it anyway with, with great fascination, and I'm supposed to be doing this other thing over here. It's easy to do. He says, heavy multitaskers underperform in almost every area of the study. I mean, listen to that. In almost every area, under, underperform. By doing less, you might accomplish more, is the conclusion of the study. I think about whenever I first came to Christ, and I would spend time, uh, I would spend daily time with the Lord, and I didn't have a phone, those didn't exist then, and so I I went to this fountain at UT, and I I sat at this fountain, and I took a little hymn book with me, and I would sing a song, and then I would read a passage, and then I would pray, and I did that every day, and I was undistracted. I had the noise of the fountain, and so it knocked out all the ambient noise around me, and I was just focused on the Lord. And it's easy now to be spending time with the Lord in our cars and we're watching traffic and we find ourselves, you know, we start praying and then we never know when we would stopped, but somewhere along the process we stopped praying and we're, oops, got to watch out for this guy and you got to speak to that guy and, and uh, wave at the other person and, you know, all these different things that uh, happen when you're driving. And, and you, so you find yourself struggling with distraction in our time with the Lord. And I think for many of us, we live a distracted Christianity. And not a focused one. And it, and it speaks to, and that's why when I look at this, I think God's called us to something. He says, come to him on a regular basis, the living stone, who's rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. And then he says, you also like living stones. So he's the living stone, right? We are living stones, so we're chips off of the old block, so to speak. And we serve him, becoming more and more like the living stone as living stones. It says,'re being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now stop there, the spiritual house, that imagery is the imagery of the temple. And so if you take the imagery of the temple, and so uh, uh, let's, uh, we got a picture of the temple, uh, this is a 50. 50th scale model of the temple of jerusalem it's found in uh in israel at one of their museums and uh it used to be at the holy land hotel when i first saw it it looked like more like a miniature golf place until he walked in there and said oh no this is the first century jerusalem and uh and this guy this uh, archaeologist built this what he thought from descriptions the temple must have looked like in the time of jesus and had the court of women, which is that first courtyard. The second courtyard, the court of men. The priest could go into the holy place. And the high priest could go into the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. He was the only one who could do that. He only did it once a year on the Day of Atonement. And they tied, uh, according to tradition, they tied a rope around his ankle. And the reason for the rope was that if he walked in, he had bells that dangled around him. So, you know, uh, so they'd know he's still moving around. And if they didn't hear the bells dangling, they figure God must have taken him out. Can you imagine being the high priest and going in kind of fear and trembling? And uh, and knowing that that rope is the signal that, uh, you know, if if you're dead, they can drag you out without going into the Holy of Holies. And so it was that precious of a place. You didn't just walk in there and waltz in there. But in the Holy of Holies, which would have be been in that building. Those two rooms would have been there. The Holy Place and the Holy of Holies would have been in there. There was an altar of incense separating them. And there was also this curtain. And if you remember when Christ died, something tore in half. That curtain. And now access was available to every believer into the very presence of God. Then, only the high priest once a year. Now... Every believer. Why? Because we are believer priests. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you not only become his child, like John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave you the right to become children of God. That is to those who believe in his name. So when we believe, we become children. But you also become priests. And not priests individually. We're so individualistic in our society, we think, oh, well, I've, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a priest. Well, that's true. That is true. But we are also priests collectively. And a priest uh, in, in ancient Israel couldn't just go build his own temple somewhere else. And you have all these temples everywhere. and he, Or Ed didn't just go do his own thing or build an altar somewhere. Uh, they did that early on. But when the temple was constructed, they didn't do that. This is where it happened. And you think, collectively, we are individually priests. But we're not, priests were never designed to work independently of one another. We're designed to work together in the body of Christ as priests, plural, collectively. Well, the day that Jesus died, the temple went from that building to the human heart. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So, there's that idea that I'm a temple now and I honor God with my body. I'm a priest, not, so, not only am I the building or the edifice or the, the container of the Holy Spirit, my body, I'm also the priest that administers sacrifices, but not the same types of sacrifices. What does he say in the passage? A holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are these spiritual sacrifices? What is the job of the, uh, of the priest? If I'm supposed to offer a spiritual sacrifice, and by the way, uh, when you think about the body of Christ, one guy wrote about it and he says, we have, we, uh, Christianity does not have a priesthood. In other words, has some priests and some non priests. It is a priesthood, a priesthood of all believers. And I think he's right. So as a believer priest, and we are all that, if you've accepted Christ, you're a priest. You don't have to go to a priest because you are a priest. It'd be daft for you to go to a priest if you are a priest, right? So you don't need to go to a priest. You are a priest. You can enter into the holy place. Hebrews tells us that. That Jesus went as a forerunner for us. And that we can enter into the very presence of God to find help in time of need. Mercy and grace in time of need. We enter into the holy place. So what do priests do? What do we do as priests? Well, I, I know that um, there are things in life that we start doing and we're not sure how we're doing it. I, I, I started this week doing flax and chia seeds. Have, have any of y'all do the flax and chia seed thing? Uh, I started doing that, and, I, and so I went to the store, and I, somebody had told me about it, and it's supposed to be a superfood, or superfoods, and they're supposed to do all this great stuff for you, and omega-3s and all that. And so, and I looked all that up, and what they do for you. But I didn't look at how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> and they had the powder there, and I thought, well, I don't know what they put in that powder. I'm going to get the real seeds, right? I want these chia, I want these flax seeds. And so the first day, I'd take a dip of those, and I'd put them in my oatmeal. Whole just poured them straight in, seeds uh, in my oatmeal. It was kind of looked funny, and I stir it up, you know, and and ate it, and ate it for a couple of days, and I finally thought, I wonder if this is the way you're supposed to do it, and so I thought, that's probably something I should look up, right? (laughs) So I look it up, and and it says, never eat them as a whole seed. You're supposed to grind them up into a powder. Oh, that's a good idea, because I'm picking, you know, flax seeds out of my teeth, Uh, and so I I realize, you know, there's things that we do that we don't know what we're doing. Well, as believer priests, we don't always know what we're supposed to do. So what are we supposed to do? How is this supposed to work? There's a number of passages. In fact, Peter doesn't tell us here how. He just tells us that. We are believer priests. We're a holy priesthood. He later says we're belonging to God. And he says we're supposed to offer spiritual sacrifices. And then when you look at the rest of the New Testament, you see some spiritual sacrifice. Not actual sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. So what are those? Romans 12.1, passage many of you know well. Probably never thought about it in terms of a believer priest offering spiritual sacrifices. Here's what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Have you ever seen the altars uh, of Israel? Uh, if you'll throw that picture of an altar up, it has four horns on the corner. And usually you put the, the sacrifice on the altar, you would cut its throat, you'd let the blood drain out in usually a little trough that's on the top of the altar. There wasn't one on this one, but it'd go in a little trough. You'd cl- the priest would collect it and he would put it on the four horns of the altar. He would sprinkle it on different things. And so that was a part of the sacrifice, Life was in the blood, they said. And so uh, that's, that's the picture that every Jewish person would have when, uh, when you said living sacrifice. When Romans 12 1, they would picture this with you laying on it, with themselves laying up. Picture yourself laying up on that altar, offering yourself to God, my life is yours. Now, the trouble with living sacrifices is they want to keep crawling off the altar. <laughs> But the reality is, if I offer my life to him, it's whatever he wants to do with it. However he wants it to go. I majored in music. And then after I came to Christ, I gave my music to God. And then God led me to give up my music for him. And I have not played my instrument, uh, violin, viola, much since. Maybe that's something later in life that comes. I don't know when that comes, but may not. May come in heaven. But I gave that up because he led me differently. I thought I was going to go into missions. He didn't lead me in that direction. He led me here to Mansfield, Texas. I do whatever he asks me to do, not just what I choose to do. The idea of lordship has that idea. The idea that he is lord of my life and lord means something. It means when he says something, I say yes. Every time I say yes, I never tell him no. That may be a struggle for you. Maybe there's some areas of your life where you're telling God no. I want to encourage you to write that down. And say, God, how can I start telling you yes in this area? Paul says in Philippians 1.20, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how we honor him in our bodies is living for him. In Romans 15.16, It says, because of the grace that God gave me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, in the priestly service, there's that language of sacrifice again, or priesthood, in the priestly service of the gospel of God. And so that idea that when I share my faith, when I speak the gospel to someone else, that's a sacrifice to him. Priests' job are to bring people to God. And so if I'm a believer priest, that should be part of my job. That doesn't mean I go door to door or go into a uh, uh, mall or shopping centers and try to... It means that in my life, as I live my life, I verbalize my faith. Because I can live my faith. St. Francis of Assisi talked about that, that you know, uh, evangelism is, is uh, living for God and then occasionally using words. No, it's always using words. It's always my life and my words, otherwise somebody thinks, oh, he's just a great guy. But now they know he's a great guy who loves Jesus or whatever guy they want to think I am, but he loves Jesus. He speaks about him. I speak about the things I love. You speak about the things you love. You love your hobby, you speak about it. You love your, your spouse, you speak about them. I mean, you love your kids, you speak about them. We speak about what we love, and so if we're not speaking about God about Christ and we need to ask ourselves an important question about that how is my love for him because I speak about that which I love in Hebrews chapter 13 verses 15 and 16 it says through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise A sacrifice of praise. And so we praise the Lord. We praise God uh, uh, collectively as a body of believers that we speak his name. God says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. So if I come in here on a Sunday morning, it means i got to get my heart right in order for my praise to be right. And it's real easy not to do that. I've had Sundays like that. I'm sure you have too. Where you come in and you're thinking, Lord, my heart's not in the right place. I'm I'm getting ready to praise you and I want it to be in the right place. And for me, I'm getting ready to speak for you. I want my heart to be in the right place. Lord, help me with that. I'm not there yet. And And sometimes I'm standing over there and I'm singing, but I'm also praying, Lord, move me in my heart. Transform my thinking. Something's not right. And I want it to be right. ever done that? Come on a Sunday morning and you just feel flat? That's the time we need to praise him and ask him, Lord, get me there. In Revelation 4 and 9 through 11, it says, And whatever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne. And what did they sing to him? What were their praises? Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And I find myself, when I look at that language, I say, do I pray like that? A lot of times I don't. Do I praise like that? Sometimes. If we want to change our language, sometimes it's helpful to to read and pray that back to God. It's sometimes helpful to to pull out the Psalms and and, and it says all these different things about God. Pray those Psalms back to God. Personalize them. Use the language of the Psalms. God, you are are a fortress. You are my tower. You are my my strength. Uh, I mean, you look at those different images and, and you think... What we typically do is we bow our heads, and our first words out of our Lord, uh, our, our mouths, is, Help me in this area, that area, whatever, right? We need to use the Acts plan adoration coming first. Just focus on the Lord and don't quickly move to your prayer list. Just talk about God. Name the names of God, mention who He is. Because when we begin to spend time in our prayers, only thinking about what we need, we come away from our prayers discouraged and disheartened. But when we think about who our God is and what his promises are for us, we come back from those times of prayer feeling stronger instead of weaker. Paul says in 1 Timothy, I love the language here, 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. Write this down, maybe even memorize these words he is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or, or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You think, wow, what a prayer. That needs to be a, a prayer that we pray back to God and think through in regard to God. A fifth thing that we need to do in terms of spiritual sacrifices, as Philippians 4.18 talks about, it says, I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So he's praising them for giving to the ministry, for giving to God. And, so, and some have said the book of Philippians is a, is a prayer letter, uh, where I mean a, a, a thank you letter uh, for what, uh, the gifts that were brought to him. He says, they are a fragrant aroma, or offering an acceptable sacrifice Pleasing to God. And so these gifts are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice. There it is, a language of sacrifice when we give. Now, many of you say, well, yeah, I knew as a pastor you'd be asking for money. (laughs) No, I'm not asking for money for Mansfield Bible Church for me or anything. I'm asking you in your relationship to the Lord as a priest to give to him. And, And we think typically, oh, 10%. Is God's and the rest is mine. No, 100% is God's. Everything that you have and are is His. If you've offered your life as a living sacrifice, it's all His. Everything is. And you are simply entrusted with His stuff to use in a way that would honor His name. That's what priests do. So some of you would say, well, I, I can't, Pastor, right now. I can't give. And I'm not saying, like I said, to give to a particular place, I'm saying give to the Lord. And if you can't give, if you're, if you're too indebted uh, to give, then, then go to Financial Peace University. Uh, that's a program that we offer here at Mansfield Bible. Tony Ariano uh, did it for us. I'm hoping he'll do it again. And, and he did a great job with a group of people. And, and you get your finances to a point where you can give. And then you've got to pray, God, change my heart so that I will give. Because you are worthy and it honors you. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. He goes on to say, for in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a a chosen, a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be pushed to shame. So there's salvation right there, believing on Jesus, who trusts in him. Now, to you who believe, again, this idea of belief, this stone is precious, but those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And so there, he's a stumbling stone for some. They stumble because they disobey the message, and what is the message? Believe on Jesus, which is also what they were destined for. But you... You who have believed on Jesus, you who have trusted in Him, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We belong to God. Why? And He gives the reason. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so we think, what are we supposed to do as priests? There's a list of five things. If you go ahead and throw that slide up there that has the five things on it. Here's the five things we talked about. There's five different passages that we looked at. We give our bodies or ourselves to him. We proclaim the gospel. We speak who Jesus is and how we love him. And that may just be our testimony that we give. We praise his name. We do good. We go about doing good. That's what was said about Jesus. It just says he went about doing good. And in fact, that was in the Hebrews verse also. It says that that we offer him praise, but also doing good and sharing. And so that we do good. Jesus was someone who went about doing good. We give of our financial resources. What I want to encourage you to do is pick one of those. In fact, you may want to take your phone and take a picture of the list. And if you have your, uh, uh, the outline, uh, it has the verses listed uh, there. And pick one of those that you think, I'm not so good at this one. Or I need to get better at that one. Or I don't even do this one at all. Pick one and say, God, begin to pray. God, help me to get better at this. As your priest, help me to get better at doing this. And honoring you. As a priest of God. For those who honor me, I will honor. Father, we come to you this morning and we worship you. We praise your name. We thank you that Jesus died for us. We thank you that you have created us to be priests so that we will honor you by giving spiritual sacrifices. Lord, help us to live in a way that our bodies, our lives are yours, that our financial resources are yours, that our daily activity is yours, that we would live for you as priests. A body of priests, a holy priesthood, those who believe on Jesus. Lord, help us to live for you. And not for ourselves. Not putting anything above you. But honoring you with our whole heart. Our whole mind. What we think. Our strength. How we go about. That we would do good. That we would share. That we would give. That we would uh, uh, speak of Jesus in our lives with those around us. So that they would know the God that we know. That we would honor you with all that's in us. Help us with that, Lord. We fall short and we admit that. Lord, help us to grow in honoring you. And we pray these, name, these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.